the journey of monk mode. All of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. Blaise Pascal Hi everyone, so I've spent the early part of the year in monk mode and funnily enough, I'm reading this from my office where I've slept for the last couple of nights. I chose to isolate myself because I'm gearing up to return to the recording studio in a few days. When I woke at the beginning of the week, it dawned on me that there wasn't enough time to tackle everything I needed to do. So my question to myself was, how can I expand time from within time? And I realized that the only way to do this is to commit to living in the process itself. It's been an intense few days and I've documented along the way, which I'll post on my YouTube next week. Speaking of YouTube, I'm using it to build in public my new album. So if you'd like to share the journey as I write the songs, you can find the link in the description. However, today's podcast dives into the concept of monk mode. Specifically, I want to dissect the idea popularized by influencers and reconstruct it using the foundational principles handed down to us by the monks themselves. This will involve how you can use it to improve your working life, how it has impacted my creative process, and toward the end, actionable steps about how you can cultivate it. To do this, I will draw from different examples of monk mode, whether from the monks themselves, Viktor Frankl, or even Elon Musk. So first of all, what is monk mode? Monk mode is the decision to shut out all external distractions in favor of focusing on one core idea. It's a concept that has gained popularity, especially amongst productivity enthusiasts and self-improvement circles. This idea is inspired by the disciplined and minimalist lifestyle of monks focusing on deep work, self-reflection and personal growth. The goal of entering monk mode is to temporarily withdraw from distractions of the external world, social interactions, entertainment and even the internet to focus on achieving specific, meaningful goals. But given it's called monk mode, let's start with the lives of the monks themselves, especially given the fact that it's been hijacked by the fanboys of grind culture, disconnecting it from the healthier and holistic potential of its origins. The Desert Fathers were Christian hermits living in the Egyptian desert. They often spoke of silence and solitude as the keys to the divine revelation. One of them, Abba Moses, advised, Go sit in your cell, and your cell will teach you everything. The paradox of the modern condition is that we yearn for more time for ourselves, but when we finally get it, we find ourselves distracted, circling around our work like a moth to a flame. I use the moth to a flame metaphor because though we're pulled towards our work, we end up spiraling in distractions, leaving us drained just at the point when we're ready to begin. Simply put, distraction leaves us drained before we even start. It illustrates a core tenet of monk mode. You have to protect your energy. So, for instance, one of the most popular modern ideas is that of having a morning routine. Morning routines have blown up to such a degree that you read about people who have done half an hour of meditation, written a gratitude journal, had a long walk, listened to a podcast and been to the gym all by the time they've got to work. My version of monk mode challenges this idea. Instead, it asks, 
How do you enter your deepest creative space as quickly as possible in order to maximize the time you have until your energy starts waning? If a long morning routine leaves you with little energy for your primary focus, it follows that you'll struggle to build meaningful momentum. And when our lives lose momentum, we often feel like no matter what we do, we cannot seem to move forward. It's a paradox perhaps, but nothing drives us forward like the capacity to be still. So the instruction of monk mode offers a tougher lesson than what we find through the so-called well-being economy. Abba Moses' words, go sit in your cell and your cell will teach you everything, encourage you to get into your deepest creative space and there to reside. That space will be different for each of us, but it applies equally to creativity, business or our relationship with whatever the Godhead is to us. So yes, the idea of monk mode suggests taking examples from the monks themselves. Now, to broaden our understanding, let's take a look at what a monk's life might look like and see if we can pinch some ideas for our own recalibrated version of monk mode. Thomas Merton, a Trappist monk and writer, once said, Solitude is not something you must hope for in the future. Rather, it's a deepening of the present. And unless you look for it in the present, you will never find it. From Merton, we learn that monk mode isn't first about world rejection and saying no. It's much more about deepening our own experience of the present and saying yes. The opportunity in this is that as you start to see things clearer, your capacity to deal with your problems is heightened. And by working through your own problems, you learn how to solve them for others too. Monk mode, therefore, becomes a trigger because you emerge from it with something new to offer the world. Seen this way, your own problems are no longer problems, but instead an opportunity. So, rather than rejecting the problems you have, you develop a sense of gratitude towards them. This capacity to accept, coexist and overcome great problems or challenges is a hallmark of all great leaders. As Viktor Frankl put it, everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's way. So the paradox is that your capacity to lead others is, in fact, developed in your own cell. In the act of solving the problems you discover there, whether spiritual, creative or professional, you acquire new skills, new insight and a new way to approach the world. Another monk, a Carmelite called Brother Lawrence, wrote, We ought not to be weary of doing little things for the love of God, who regards not the greatness of the work, but the love with which it is performed. Now the problem nowadays is that so much work in the modern world is performed out of expediency. That is, we do it simply because we want to get something from it. Grind culture, for instance, considers its highest God not the way you do something, but the will to get it done. Modern society, driven by a desire to possess what others have, often imitates its heroes without genuine interest or love for the thing being copied. The result is the pursuit of something without any actual love of the thing being pursued. If we're not driven by an internal sense of purpose, we get found out quickly when things get tough. As Elon Musk puts it, 
there are times when things don't go well, and then that's quite discouraging for sure. And then it's difficult to proceed with the same level of enthusiasm. But I do think that the things we are doing are pretty important for the future. The implication is that if your motivation is beyond yourself, it will carry you through whatever hardship your path has in store for you. Brother Lawrence's perspective is that God is not interested in the greatness of the work, but in the love with which it is performed. So one has to consider one's motivation for entering monk mode. If you're using it as a means to an end, that is to get something done, then you are divorced from the why, which is your main driving force. And if you don't know why you are doing something, you will likely lose interest in that which you are doing. It is, after all, hard to endure a great trial if you don't know what the purpose of the suffering is. So Brother Lawrence would counsel us not to just make a practice of entering monk mode, but to consider, more importantly, the practice of what you are doing within it. Seen this way, entering monk mode is just a framework. We're saying no to certain distractions, not because we want to get something, but because we want to be something. So the question I ask you is, who are you while you work? And what is the experience you're having within it? If you're feeling a constant sense of resistance to what you're doing, it may be that life is quietly telling you that it's time to reevaluate, pivot, or make a change. My reading of Brother Lawrence is that if you're entering monk mode without a love of the work you are performing, you will likely find yourself feeling resistant and even miserable. Yes, some work is hard, but as Alex Hermosi says, you have to love the doing for the sake of the doing itself. If not, you might find that you're simply doing the wrong thing for the wrong motivation. The reason I go back to the teachings of the monks is that I think that many people enter monk mode with the belief that just by sacrificing, they will be successful and happy. You can only truly sacrifice something when your love for what you're offering exceeds your love for what you're sacrificing. So when it comes to monk mode, remember that you are not entering it exclusively in order to get something. You're entering it to ritualize an act of love. By deepening your sense of the present, as Merton suggests, and amplifying the love in your work, as Brother Lawrence advises, you create a strong foundation that can enhance not just your business, but your entire life. When considering monk mode on a deeper level, it stimulates this question. What is the most important single thing in your life that you wish to develop? Are you ready to bring the same solemnity of spirit to your life that a monk brings to his conversations with God? What I enjoy about the idea of monk mode is that you bring the seriousness of a religious pursuit to your own life. In an age disconnected from God, you can make a north star of your anchor to your deepest self. For me personally, since I started considering my work a spiritual pursuit, it has impacted every aspect of my life. For instance, enhancing my concentration makes me more present for loved ones, which in turn enriches the depth and quality of my work. Thus, rather than viewing success as a linear path towards a goal, I see it as a feedback loop of love. So the more I concentrate, the more present I am. The more present I am, the more I love. The more I love, the deeper I feel. And the deeper I feel, the greater access I have to the miracle that is life. 
I've seen this cycle positively impact my life, especially in my songwriting, which now not only improves but also draws from a deeper understanding of the world. This evolution speaks, I think, to a universal truth. Each of us is born with potential, but it's a lifelong task to protect and nurture it. Sadly, many today feel unfulfilled, as though they are not living up to their potential. Adopting monk mode as a philosophy means committing to living up to one's potential and recognizing that as one of one's highest values. As such, I love the metaphor of monk mode because it answers a deeper longing in me. That longing is about wanting to live a fulfilled life and the solemn decision to pursue it. So how do we live a fulfilled life? Well, the first step towards this is to consider what meaning is to you. To answer this, we can only begin with the solemnity of our innermost conversation. We hate to admit it, but most of us flit around this question. Yes, the big one. What is the meaning of life? I want to read a paragraph from a book I'm reading by Richard Powers called The Overstory, where he recounts the scene in Tolstoy's War and Peace to illustrate this. The prince hero goes down in the middle of an immense battle. He lies paralyzed on his back on the cold earth with chaos all around. Nothing above the soldier but sky, lofty sky. He can't move, he can't look up. The hero lies wondering how he could have missed the central truth of existence until that moment. The whole world and all the hearts of men are as nothing lined up underneath the infinite blue. The truth is that many of us flutter around our lives so much that we never even consider the question, what is the meaning of our lives? If you're thinking, yeah, yeah, I'll get to that later, I counsel you to reconsider. Inspired by my hero, Joseph Campbell, I decided to take time off after the pandemic to explore the question. I didn't know then that it would ask for two years of my life and lead to my best work so far, The Isolation Diaries. However, those two years reformatted me on the inside out, and now I feel a sense of dread that I may have only taken this time at the end of my life rather than within it. Instead, it brought me into the heart of life, and to the doorstep of my future. Living like a monk in my van, far from civilization, I realize how the modern world fragments our psychological space by monetizing the fragmentation of our consciousness. It made me realize that in order to protect my inner experience, I needed to get serious about how to guardrail it. It was this need to guardrail that provoke not just my interest in monk mode, but to realize the extent to which its potential is hijacked by grind culture. This is why I bring the idea of monk mode back to the idea of the hermits and the monks. In order to experience a deeper conversation with God, the monk literally builds a space around which he protects that which he values most, that is, the hermitry. So ask yourself, how are you protecting your inner conversation? Many of us want so much from the world that we focus our attention to the world itself. The monk would answer that if you want to bring something to the world, you have to first find something of value in yourself that you can bring to it. Delivering value to others, though, necessitates the bravery to engage with our own meaning first. 
From our purpose, we cultivate talents, refine skills, and discover ways to contribute something to the world. It's no coincidence that many historical figures who have left a significant mark experience periods of asceticism, world renunciation, or personal trials. Consider Nelson Mandela's 27 years in prison, Jesus Christ's 40 days in the desert, or Buddha's enlightenment after 49 days of meditation. If the meaning of life involves the pursuit of our greatest potential, then it is our task to meet ourselves first in order to understand that potential. The question we have to ask ourselves is, do we have the courage to undergo that journey? So now I want to talk about what monk mode means for me. At the start of each year, I like to go into a time of asceticism. I began doing this 10 years ago because I noticed a pattern that I was always at my most down in January and February. I realized that on some level, it was because I was resisting the nature of the season around me. Deciding to lean into the season, I discovered that if I mirrored winter's condition with an ascetic mindset, it would transform my emotional state. So I started this year for the first time in a few with a clean slate. I realized there was a lot that I was excited to explore and that I was entering a period of trying new things. However, in parallel, I was aware I was in danger of trying to do too much and that's why I decided to enter monk mode. I read a nice quote from Greg McEwen who shared this realization before writing his book. To quote, he needed a routine that acknowledged the difficulty of the task. A routine that acknowledged the difficulty of the task. To tackle something more challenging than ever before, I realized I had to radically change my approach to work. That's what got me thinking about the lives of the monks themselves. Consequently, I created a playbook outlining my approach for this phase of my life. I was essentially defining the parameters for a higher standard of living, which involved embracing the core principles of monastic life, sacrificing one thing for another. The essence of this sacrifice meant giving up short-term comforts for longer-term fulfillment. So I decided on five essential decisions while in this period of monk mode. First, I gave up alcohol. Second, I declined any social engagements in the week. Third, I began a paleolithic sleeping pattern. Fourth, I would only go online for set times during the day. Fifth, no traveling. Unlike the modern version of monk mode, my goal was not to achieve an end in itself, but to deepen my experience of the work I was doing. What surprised me is the degree to which my sense of meaning has deepened. Renunciation hasn't led to a feeling of discomfort, but to a heightened capacity to coexist with the moment I'm in. And though my social diary has been stripped down, I've experienced a feeling far from social alienation. On the contrary, my presence with loved ones feels heightened, not as a result of conscious effort, but due to a deeper connection to the rhythm of love that binds us. Monk mode hasn't isolated me from my friendships. Instead, it's made them more vividly present, even when we're apart. At unexpected moments, the people I love open doors in the corridor of my heart, and there's been many times when I've been brought to tears by their sudden presence in my day. In the paradox of modern life, where distance often separates us from the ones we love most, I've discovered that I'm actually more connected to them, not less. So now pivoting to my work, 
I know that the question that most people would ask is, has monk mode helped my productivity? However, as I've tried to illustrate, a true understanding of monk mode is not about an outcome so much as a way of being. Success to me is not about crushing my goals. Success to me is about the courage to live my life deeper. Am I alive in the present? Am I learning new things? Do I feel energized, connected to the world, elevated by the sacrifice, moved by the promise and the hunger for the adventure? I believe there's a straightforward measure of success. Is our cynicism growing as we age or is it diminishing? All this said, I am experiencing a boost in my output but it's an outcome of my internal dialogue rather than a product of my will. I am putting in more hours, but only because I have far more energy than usual. As I discussed in my podcast on deep work, I have zero interest in grinding and working when I feel unenergized. To me, it appears that much of the world overlooks the fundamental truth. We perform better when well-rested and experience greater happiness when energized. Feeling rested, energized and happy is a pretty rich reward to feel from a small amount of sacrifice. The truth is that our modern consciousness is structured around a craving for frequent, intense dopamine rushes. It means we are forever bound to the short term, resulting in frequent feelings of anxiety, failure and self-doubt when daily challenges arise. My experience since the beginning of the year has left me in a far more robust state of mind. Because I feel connected to meaning, I have the sense that there is a purpose to my work. I experience this purpose as a continual article of faith in what I'm attempting to put into the world. When I receive a positive kickback from that, of course that's rewarding. Yet my experience stems from feeling truly alive in the act of the giving itself. It's a strange circle, but the more I sacrifice, the more I can give. And the more I can give, the more I seem to get back. Unintentionally, I've begun the year embodying a state of mind that I believe the original hermits might even endorse. If your joy stems from what you can give, then the living itself becomes a manifestation of success rather than the acquisition of an end product. In a world where so much is beyond our control, adopting a mindset focused on the process rather than outcomes is transformative. Our mindset is no longer contingent on external achievements, but rather on the doing itself. Given the pervasive influence of financial success and social media metrics on our self-perception, this approach seems far more durable. My conclusion is that monk mode is a worthy practice to explore because there's so much to learn from an approach which draws from the knowledge of the ages. In a world where we live in a storm of self-perpetuating amnesia, the wisdom of the ancients offers sage refuge. The fallacy of the modern version of monk mode is that it entirely misses the point that its reward is the inculcation of a deeper state of being rather than a temporary and transient goal. The point of our efforts is not to move the world by one singular effort of will, but rather, as Buddha puts it, to participate joyfully in its suffering. 
So my three final takeaways are as follows. One, monk mode is not about outcomes, but about process. Two, it's not about doing, but about being. Three, it's about reframing sacrifice as not the giving up of happiness, but as its reward. Thank you for listening, dear friends. And if you'd like to see how I use monk mode, don't forget to jump over to my YouTube and subscribe for the upcoming video. It's been a crazy few days and uh, I'm just about ready to conk out. (laughs) All right. Have a nice day, everyone.